Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. You can find the sermon outline and video for this message at enewlife.com or the New Life Church Kahana mobile app. What a great reminder that song is. Just as Israel waited for you to come, and you were here with them, you are here with us still today. God, as we go through this Christmas season, may we not forget that, that you are here, you are present. And as we open the word this morning, show us some things about that this morning, God, how you can be a part of our life each and every day. And I ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, there's nothing like uh, playing the saxophone to make your mouth all dried out. Well, good morning, everybody. It's always an honor to have the opportunity to speak with you, and I think even more so here at Christmas. We've been talking these last few weeks about all the parties to the uh, first Christmas, and we're going we're to continue in that today. Last month, New Life hosted a ladies' conference. Some of you were probably here for that. And uh, ladies came from all over, out of state, to uh, hear about how to have a one-on-one time with God. And as part of hosting that gathering, our worship team had the honor of serving these ladies and leading them in worship for the weekend. I was very blessed to be part of that team. The spirit that was just going on around here was, was amazing. Saturday morning, our team led the ladies in some opening songs, and while they were having their teaching time, I went over to my office to uh, do a few things until it was time to to come back and lead them in song again. Now, of all of our pastors at New Life, I'm the only one who does not work full-time here at the church. I still have a mostly full-time job as a secular IT consultant in addition to my duties here. So I got in front of my computer and I had an email waiting for me. And it was a message from my current client informing me that due to a budget cut, my contract with them is going to be terminated at the end of November. Now I've been doing this a long time, these things happen. But this client has tons of work and they're very happy with me. There was no reason to expect this, it it was a surprise. Those of you that are business people, you know there's really no worse time to be looking for something than during the holidays. Because everybody's focus is elsewhere, they're not thinking about that. And it's just difficult to line up something once you get Thanksgiving through December. I was lucky enough to get a brief extension with my current client that takes me through about the middle of January. But after that, I've got nothing in place. So here I am, rolling in the holidays, no work lined up, knowing the financial hit that that could mean, knowing the odds are not really good of finding something quickly, especially once we got past yesterday, right? Because nothing's happening the rest of this year business-wise. Concerned about what the next steps are going to be. Wondering what it's going to mean to my ministry here if I I can't find a client who's going to give me a little flexibility. How do you react to that? Many of you, you're going through this holiday season 
with a challenge in some aspect of your life. Maybe you've gotten some bad news like I did. Maybe it's about work, but maybe it's from a doctor or a lawyer. News that fills your thoughts with where things are headed in your life. Maybe you have a relationship that's strained right now. You know, so much of the season is about family and friends. I, I think that this is a particularly difficult time to be going through some kind of a relational conflict. Maybe it's a situation that's casting some kind of a shadow over the season for you. Or maybe life's just throwing you a difficult curve. You know, your car is dead and you're wondering how you're going to pay for that when you're trying to find money for gifts and such. Maybe you're blessed to have a job, but your work situation isn't all that great. Maybe your boss is tough or your co-workers. Maybe the workload's just demanding. It's tough to juggle that and everything else in your life. If you're dealing with difficult circumstances during the holiday season, or really at any time for that matter, how does the message of Christmas show us something about how to deal with these things? I actually think there's plenty there to help us cope with difficult situations. So let's start by looking at that familiar Christmas passage found in Luke 2. Take the study guide out of your worship folder, all your scriptures there, but if you want to open up your Bible or tap over on your app to Luke 2, that's fine too. We're going to start reading in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now Pastor Jay walked us through this passage two weeks ago from the point of view of the shepherds. But I want us to look at this passage in the other direction today. Have you ever considered this scene from the angel's point of view? Now let's start by asking this question, what are angels? We need to understand what they are to kind of under, understand this passage. Now, we probably have ideas from TV and movies that may not square with what the Bible teaches about angels. The word angel itself, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, means messenger. It's used in Scripture to denote created beings God uses to carry out his purposes in the earth. Now, Scripture doesn't give a precise definition of angels, but there are numerous passages that give us insight into them. From what the Bible tells us of angels, we know that they are personal beings. They have names, right, like, like Michael and Gabriel. We know that they have sort of a rank system, kind of like a military thing. Angels are living spiritual beings, Though their spirit, when they appear to men, it's in human form. And I think that makes sense, right? Because what, what happens? Whenever an angel shows up, just like in this passage, everybody's afraid. Well, if they didn't appear to be human, I think that would be even more scary, right? Angels don't die, but they aren't perfect. 
They don't know everything despite their presence in heaven. For example, Matthew 24 tells us they don't know when Jesus is going to return to earth. They have to travel to get places, Daniel 9 says. And there are many angels. Scripture tells us of thousands upon thousands. And there are different kinds of angels. What do they do? Well, angels are agents of God. They assist Him in His work. Often in the Bible, we see them sent as messengers, thus the, the name in the Hebrew and the Greek. Angels figure into God's purposes from the time of Abraham thousands of years ago, or the first mentioned in the Bible, into the future as described in Revelation. Angels have a prominent role in the events surrounding the coming of Jesus to earth. They predict the birth of Jesus to both Joseph and Mary. It was angels that told Joseph to take his family to Egypt to escape Herod's death order. We talked about that last week, right? And they also told Joseph when he could return, when it was safe. Now, angels continue to have a role in the earthly ministry of Jesus. They, they assisted after him after Satan tempted him in the wilderness. And they strengthened him as he wrestled with going to the cross in the garden. They declare both his resurrection and his ascension. So God sends angels to make an announcement. It starts with a single angel that appears to some shepherds out in a field tending their flocks. God sure chose an unlikely audience to receive this news. And it's an announcement the entire Old Testament had prepared for and pointed to. Israel had been waiting for their Messiah to, to come for centuries, kind of like what Jared said before. The angel tells these shepherds that the Messiah, the Savior, had finally arrived. In verse 10, the angel says he's delivering good news. But this just isn't any good news, it's the good news. The Greek word is euangelizome, which is talking about the spoken form of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. The angel is bringing the most important news in the history of mankind. Not just 2,000 years ago, but still today. What is this news? Back at the beginning of time, God created mankind. And God had a direct relationship with man. The Bible tells us that God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. All was as God intended it. God and man together, enjoying each other's company. But then sin entered the picture. Sin is those things that we do wrong, those things that break God's perfect law. Man rebelled against God. And because God's holy, which means he's perfect, he can't tolerate sin. Sin created this barrier that broke the idyllic relationship that God had shared with Adam and Eve. And you can't just point at Adam and Eve and their sin because every one of us has sinned. We've all done things that break God's law. And since God can't tolerate sin, there's no grading on a curve. It's pass-fail. The penalty is death. Eternal death, separated from God forever in hell. And the Bible is very clear that there's a real, literal hell. But God wasn't willing to let it go at that. He, God created man to have a relationship with him. And because of his love, God devised a plan to restore that relationship even back then. God tells Satan in Genesis 
I, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. God says here that one day, yeah, Satan was going to nick the heel of the offspring of woman, meaning Jesus, but that ultimately, Jesus would crush Satan. Throughout ancient time, God over and over told of the promised Messiah, the one who would come and defeat Satan and his schemes. Israel longed for the day when that Messiah would come. And so at that first Christmas, God had sent the Messiah. God sent his only son, Jesus, to earth as a human baby. He was fully God and fully man all at the same time. Because Jesus lived a human life, he, he experienced all the things that we do in our lives. But because he was God, he lived, he lived a perfect human life. That thing that none of us could do. As Jesus taught about his father and his kingdom, the religious leaders of that day, they were threatened by that. So they schemed to have him killed. It was anything but fair, but it was all part of God's plan. Jesus willingly allowed himself to be put to death on a cruel Roman cross. His blood poured out to pay for your sins and mine. He acted as our substitute. Satan thought he won at the cross, but he just nicked the heel of Jesus. That's because the story doesn't end there. Jesus rose from the grave alive three days later. His resurrection defeated death and made a way for us to have that relationship with God again. His payment for our sin bridges that divide between God and man. Satan's head was crushed. And Jesus is still alive today. He wants to be the Lord of your life so you don't have to face your circumstances alone. That's the good news the angels brought. The gospel. God relentlessly pursuing a relationship with man that will last forever. The angels delivered this news, and in verse 10, the angel says it will cause great joy for all the people. You think? <laughs> then this lone angel is joined by a great company, it says, of angels, in verse 13. The whole crew worshiping God, a gigantic chorus. How many? Well, we don't know for sure, but the words used here would lead us to believe probably thousands. Since God didn't really do anything second class, it had to be enough angels to make the announcement with a flair worthy of the best news in human history. Those angels delivered their news with joyful worship. The angels' delivery of that good news sets an example for us. So given their joyful worship in making this announcement, I have two questions for you to think about this Christmas. First, how's your joy? The angel says the gospel is going to cause great joy for all the people, and, and so it should. Jesus, God himself, come to earth to make a way for man and God to be together forever and at great cost. Jesus laid down his life in sacrificial fashion to crush the head of the enemy. He gave it all. How could that news bring anything but joy? 
And if you believe the gospel message, the joy of this news should really shape your entire life. Now, I think at times we can let our circumstances and the clutter of distraction of everyday life get in the way of that. I want us to consider this story. This is Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start reading in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, this happened a long time ago, and this passage isn't specifically about Christmas, but let's think about this situation described here in terms of the holiday season in our day, okay? Now, I'm going to be the first to say, Martha gets a bad rap sometimes. She was trying to serve others. She was making all the preparations so the folks that were there would, would be cared for and, and with hospitality. What she was doing was out of the best of motives. But Jesus wanted to show Martha something, and, and us here today as well. Mary put aside the circumstances of the moment and chose to be with Jesus. Those moments in his presence, they, they wouldn't last forever, especially not here on earth. And Jesus told Martha, not that what she was doing was wrong, notice that. He just said what Mary chose was better. What's this got to do with Christmas? I think too often our circumstances, whether it's just the hustle and bustle of the season or finances or health problems or maybe a job concern like mine, we let those things get in the way of our joy. Like Martha, we should be concerned with those things. They're important things. Like take my situation. Should I say, you know what? I'm not going to worry about working my network to find another client. I'm just going to sit by, let events take their course, and we'll just see what happens, but I'm not doing anything. Well, of course not. I have to be concerned about it. I have to do my part in it. But I don't have to be worried about it. First, God's promised to meet my needs. Second, he's also promised that whatever I face, I'm not going to face it alone. Regardless of that, I can still have joy whatever my circumstances are, whatever I'm facing. Why? Because the truth of the gospel far outweighs any cares we face in this life. No matter what it is, we can have joy knowing that God has defeated sin and death on our behalf. He made a way for us to be with him forever. You know, instead of facing an eternity beyond this life with no hope at all, God loved us enough to go to great lengths to pursue a relationship with each one of us. So whatever you're facing, whether it's being just concerned with the preparations for Christmas, you know, gatherings and dinners and presents and stuff. Or maybe it's bigger than that. No matter what it is, walk through it with joy because of the gospel, because of the good news the angel brought those shepherds all those years ago. 
is just as meaningful right here in Gehenna, Ohio in 2016 as it was on that hillside near Bethlehem. Second question for this Christmas season. How's your worship? Now, when I ask about that, some of you are saying, hey, Pastor Joe, we just sang a whole bunch of songs about God, and I was hitting all those notes, so my worship's great. <laughs> well, I'm glad for that. <laughs> I love to see new lifers engaging in songs that express deep truth about God and who He is and what He's done. I love that. But music is not the whole picture of worship. Not even close. You know, Pastor Jay mentioned a couple weeks ago that we like to believe the angels sang their praise. Maybe they did. The passage doesn't say that. It says they said glory to God in the highest. We really don't know if music was involved or not. And even if it was, whether it was spoken or sung, that really doesn't matter as far as whether the angels worshipped. You see, worship isn't just about music or singing. Jesus himself said in John 4.23, yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Worship is acknowledging in your spirit, in the core of your being, the truth of who God is and what He's done for you. If you worship like that, the true worship Jesus describes, now it can express itself in a lot of ways. Music is just one of them. The Apostle Paul tells us something about the true worship in the book of Romans as well. In chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the, ver in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul is saying worship isn't just about singing a song. It isn't just about reading your Bible or praying. It isn't just showing up for church. All those can be ways to express worship, but it isn't the whole picture. Paul describes worship in a way that isn't about doing certain activities. It's about living our lives in a way where we give our entire selves to God. What Paul is saying is that true worship is more of an all-or-nothing deal than most of us want to make it. We can't slice off one little part of our lives. We can't just confine worship to one activity or one part of ourselves. We can't just worship inside these walls. We have to worship Him in all parts of our lives. It's 24-7, 365. And God is worth it, is He not? Consider this. The angels expressed their worship not just in what they said, they expressed their worship by carrying out God's purposes and making his grand announcement. They did exactly what God asked them with joy and excitement. That's worship. So I ask you again, how's your worship? Are you saying, whatever you want, God, that's what I'm doing? Or are you holding back? Are you giving him a piece of you, but not the whole thing? Are you doing what God is asking of you with your, with your whole heart, with joy and enthusiasm? Or are you doing it begrudgingly? Or not at all? Is it I surrender all? Or I surrender some? 
And maybe for some of you, you aren't giving any of yourself to God. You want a Christmas gift that's going to keep on giving? Give your whole self to God. Do whatever he asks, then watch what happens. Watch what he'll do with you and in you. I know, for a lot of us, that's scary. I get that. We're saying, well, what if he asked me to do something I don't want to do or give? You know what? If God wants it of you, it's for your best. You know that? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God has your best in mind. He wants you to be the best you that you can be. <laughs> and worshiping Him with the totality of who you are is the best thing you can possibly do. If you worship God fully, you're going to have joy. Now, I think too often we think that joy comes from having our circumstances fixed. You know, I'll have joy when I get another client lined up. I'll have joy when my car is fixed. I'll have joy after I have a great Christmas gathering with my family. I think that's exactly backwards. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, having our desires met in this life doesn't bring true joy. Living our lives on our own terms, that's not going to bring you joy. Having everything be exactly the way you want it to be isn't the true source of joy. It's the joy of what God has done through the gospel that gives us strength. The joy that comes from the good news the angels announced. If the joy of the Lord is our strength, it's not going to depend on your circumstances. You know, my business future might be uncertain right now. I don't know where I'm going to get work. But my spiritual future is rock-solid certain because I believe the gospel. Jesus gave up all the trappings of royalty in heaven to be born into humble circumstances as a human baby. Lived a perfect life, laid that life down at tremendous cost, paid the sin debt owed by each of us because of his great love, then defeated death by rising from the grave. He's alive right now in heaven, and he's actively at work in the lives of people today. That's my strength. That's cause for joy, regardless of my circumstances. Worship him with everything you are. Have the joy that only comes from the good news of what God has done. Let that be your strength, both this Christmas and beyond. Let's pray. As we bow our heads now in the quiet of this moment, I'm going to ask you to respond to God's word in three ways. First, is God talking to you about your joy this Christmas? Has God been reminding you as we've talked today, you've been letting your circumstances crowd out the joy God paid so dearly to provide for you? that's you, you raise your hand and say, Pastor Joe, please pray for me. Wow, I see a lot of hands. I think at this time of year, I know it's tough. Thank you. Maybe for you, God's challenging you about your worship this Christmas. 
Are you living a life of worship, surrendering your wishes and desires to His? Or are you resisting Him? If you know God's talking to you about being that living sacrifice Paul wrote about, will you raise your hand and say, Pastor Joe, please pray for me. Yeah, I see hands. Thank you. Thank you. For some of you here today, maybe you've never heard that good news the angel brought before. Or maybe you've heard it, but it's never clicked for you till today. God longs for you not to experience that eternal death and hell we all deserve, but to be with him in heaven forever because of what Jesus has done. If you're ready to believe the gospel and follow Jesus, will you raise your hand and say, Pastor Joe, please pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. God, for these folks today, for the folks that are just saying, I need, I need a joy upgrade this Christmas, God. I know that in this crowd this size, there's folks that are facing all kinds of difficult circumstances, and it's so easy to let those things crowd out our joy, God. May you remind them during the time left today as they go out through the rest of the Christmas season, it's your strength that brings them joy. May the gospel infuse them with joy. God, for those of us that need to be that living sacrifice, that's a challenge. We want to be in control. We want to live that American thing where it's rugged individualism and all that. God, that's not biblical. We need to let you take control. You do a lot better job than any of us. And so, God, I pray that you would work in those folks too. God, for these folks that raise their hand, they want to believe the gospel today. I pray that you would fan into flame that which you have started in them. God, help them to take it all the way to completion this morning. God, I pray that the enemy would not have any power in what's to come yet this morning. And we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's Word and seek to know Him better through the Gospel. Our prayer is that the Gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the Word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.